Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Well, 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 we have passed the 25th episode. We are now in episode 26. Once I complete this, man, I only have... 74 more to go to hit 100. I can't believe we've already been doing this for over six months. This is crazy. Um, I was just on Instagram Live and I was talking with people on there about, um, they're like, you ever going to do the video portion? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'd like to do, I'd like to do a studio and start incorporating the multiple camera shots and all that. But the guys that are doing that, they're all big podcasters and that's their full-time thing. And man, I got, I have so much shit going on. I just... One, I don't know if I want to. I want to even delve into that, but I think um, two. That's that's a level of commitment that um, I don't. I don't think I have time for right now because, you know, I live by that old adage: make time, not excuses. But also, I make time for the shit I want to make time for, and I don't. I don't know if I want video podcasting to become my life. I just like sitting down here every once in a while when I have some stuff to say. And today, I think I got some stuff to say. Um. Where do we even go today? I, I so I, I I literally have a bunch of notes today, and I want to tell y'all I have to do a follow up with you about my tractor tire story. And I don't know if this was on last episode or the episode before, but I told you about my tractor tire and how it busted, and I think it's about self sufficiency. So yeah, that would have been last episode. Um, I'm a very self sufficient kind of guy, and I'm a firm believer in if you're not self sufficient, you're just um, you're not giving your you're not you're not doing yourself any favors. And so I got on this tangent about being self-sufficient and I'm like, I'm gonna fix that fucking tractor tire. And that's what I did, man. I went over there, I pulled that tractor tire off. People, I can't tell y'all how heavy that thing was. I'm sitting here in my chair now. I threw my back out. Um, well, not threw it completely out, but I heard it pretty good. Come to find out that tractor tire is well over five hundred pounds. I think it's closer to seven, seven fifty. And I had it on the ground, and I had to use some mechanical engineering to lift it up. I had to use cribbing, and like we call in fire service, which is wooden blocks. And I was using these four by four wooden blocks and six by six wooden blocks. I would I would like use a bar as leverage and, and lift it up like a couple of inches, and shove a, a block under it. And then I repositioned my bar and I jack it up again. And before I knew it, I had this thing halfway lifted up and then I could get underneath it with my body and put all this 230 pounds of juice behind it. Uh, and then I had it up in the air and I was proud of myself and I walked away from it. I moved all my cribbing and the fucking thing fell down. I said, God damn. And so I fought that thing again. 
I was like, you ain't going to beat me, son of a bitch. So I lifted it up, lifted it up, lifted it up. I got it up again. And this time, I threw a chain over um, over a steel beam in my barn. And I hooked my Polaris to it. And I was going to pull the tire up. Well, the thing came off the damn chain. The tire fell back down. So I said, fuck it. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and fight it. I wasn't defeated. I just knew I had to be smarter about this. And that's there's another saying, work smarter, not harder. Well, I'm, I'm half caveman. Um, well, actually, three-quarters caveman on my mama's side. And... So I'm a firm, firm believer in just getting out there and getting after it. But I was hurting, man. I was hurting so badly. And uh, so the next day, I catch my neighbor who he's out there playing around on his bobcat. And I go there and I say, hey, man, what will it take for you to come over and uh, get that bobcat and put this tire in that, in that bucket and, and flip it into the back of the truck? And he's like, you know, a game of tummy sticks, you know, we could play tummy sticks. And if you win... You can, I'll bring the Bobcat, but if, if you lose the game of tummy sticks, you're just going to have to go out there and figure it out yourself. So I was like, man, you on. So he had his cowboy hat on and his um, Durango boots and some Wrangler pants. And I was in some cutoff Vietnam shorts and um, a tank top. And I had my black sheep hat on and I was like, hey, so we, so we unzip and, and, and we, we go tummy to tummy and I'm, no, I'm just kidding, man. That's bullshit. Listen to some of y'all. I know my buddy Kenny over in Virginia is getting excited hearing that story. Um, but that didn't happen. My neighbor was like, yeah, I'd love to come help you. Country boys out there ain't playing no damn tummy sticks, boy. <laughs> Shit. Mess around with your damn tummy sticks. So long story short, he puts a tire in the back of the truck. Then I start looking at the truck and this damn tire was starting to make the truck squat in the back. So I called up another company. I found a fourth company who has a mobile tire um, service, and they actually fix tractor tires all over the area. And so I called them up, and the lady said, yeah, we can come out there for, for 100 bucks." And I was like, $100? I've been fucking with this tire for two days over $100? Shit. I went back, and I rolled the tire out the back of the truck and let it flop in the dirt. And them, boy, them boys came out the next day. They threw that thing on. They had the right equipment. That that's the trick here. You you have to have the right tools for the job. You know, if you're just caveman and like me, sometimes just ain't enough, man. You you have to have the right tools. They came out there. They put my tractor tire back on. They they blew it up. They filled it with water. They had like 18 different jacks doing 18 different jobs, and, and it was just it was a wonderful experience. And then I tipped them very well. I was like, thank you all for coming out here. And that was that. So look. Long story short is I put my pride to the side and I was like, yeah, look, I have nothing to prove to anybody. I'm going to pay these fellas to come out and do this. And they did a great job. Somebody on my Instagram live earlier. If you're not, if you don't follow me on Instagram, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram because I go live every once in a while. And it's like a little, it's like the Olive Garden. I call it a social media. We're all family there. And some dude in there earlier was like, man, I'm, I'm, I had a bad day today. And before I know it, this girl said, you can't have a bad day. Or so she goes. You can't have rainbows without the rain. I just started laughing. I was like, clearly you have never pissed into the sunshine when the, when the light is hitting right. Because I have promised you I've peed a rainbow before. And um, you don't have to have rain to make rainbows. You can actually pee in the right sunlight. I know some guys out there, you're like, yeah, I've done that. I'm I've, uh, How many of you have pissed rainbows? You know what? I'm going to talk about, that actually might be the name of this, called Pissing Rainbows. Because that's when you actually know it's going to be a glorious day. 
and you go out there and, and piss piss rainbow and yeah that's weird but <sighs> jesus look i got a big event coming up and that event is the uh, comedy event for the firefighter conference at fdic it's fire department instructors conference and that's in Indianapolis every year. And it's the biggest conference in the world. It's the biggest fire conference, emergency service conference. There's 35, over 35,000 firefighters coming to this thing. And I'm, this is my fourth year doing this with them. And uh, I'm excited to be there because we sell out the shows every year. Um, I shouldn't say we sell out. I should say the Firefighter Cancer Support Network sells out. And what this is for, all the, all the ticket um, proceeds go to Firefighter Cancer Support Network. And I have a contact over there at Firefighter Support <laughs> Firefighter Cancer Support Network. I actually have many contacts, but I was um, talking with one very special young lady that works over there, and uh, I was like, you know, I'm gonna give y'all a shout out on the podcast. And she sent me a plethora of stuff. So normally I don't do this, but I'm gonna read it word for word because I promised her. I said, look, I'm gonna read this shit word for word. So I want to tell y'all about the Firefighter Cancer Support Network and what they do because a lot of people aren't really familiar. So here you go. The Firefighter Cancer Support Network has a vision to be the global leader in firefighter cancer support, education, and awareness. Our toolbox and mentor services are 100% free to career, volunteer, and retired firefighters diagnosed with cancer. Occupational cancer is the number one killer of firefighters right now. One in three firefighters will be diagnosed with cancer. Firefighters have a 9% higher risk of being diagnosed with cancer and a 14% higher risk of dying from cancer than the general U.S. population, according to research by the CDC and National Institute for Occupational Health and Safety, NIOSH. So there you go. So Firefighter Cancer Support Network, man, they help out families in need of those firefighters who unfortunately um, are diagnosed with this, these horrible cancers from you know job related cancers it just it sucks it happens i i was telling my contact we in um in 2007 when we lost our nine guys we also lost i lost my best friend or my, one of my other best friends shane albers in my book his name is kenny but i had to change it in the book but uh we lost him and then that wasn't from cancer he died in a car wreck but what i'm getting at is in 2007 we buried 14 of our own we had four other firefighters that year that i knew and that i was very close to my captain being one of them was uh with my previous captain um before he retired and uh we lost four more that year and that was just that year and over the years there's just been so many firefighters that i've known have died from cancer such a horrible thing and you know i don't think when we get into this business we don't we don't really make that a priority we just see the job we see the glory we we know it's a uh, a wonderful profession we know it's a fun profession but we don't take the risks seriously we all know that we can be killed in the line of duty, but nobody ever thinks about, one, the, the mental health aspect, dying along the line of duty like I've talked about, or two, the occupational hazards such as cancer. They, we don't really – we didn't sit around and think about that stuff. We didn't even talk about it, and that's how that's how ignorant we were. And I'm going to tell you how ignorant we were. Now, this isn't me bashing the department I came from at all because I love the department that I was with, Charleston, City of Charleston, South Carolina Fire Department. I loved it. I still do. Did we do things fucking uh, a little, a little crazy? Yeah, we did. But this is how much the job has changed. And you got to look. It takes, it takes horrible things to happen for good to for good to happen. 
Um, just like that analogy I used a minute ago that, you know, you can't have rainbows without the rain. And you have to have storms to have rainbows, man. And so, and Charles Fire Department was no different. Uh, I don't get into the whys of the, the fire that killed our guys. Um, I don't I don't look back and try to what if it to death. I just, I just don't. It happened. We learn from it. We press on. The good thing is we don't still do things the same way. And that's where we've grown, right? We've, we, we've promoted growth. But it, unfortunately, it took horrible tragedy to happen for us to grow. Now, the way that we were trained, I talk about this in my book. Um, they definitely do not do this anymore. And uh, I told my contact over at the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, I feel like I know my fate. Um, I just I don't really think about it a whole lot. But the things that I was exposed to from the many years on the job and the way that we were exposed was horrible. So I'll give you a couple of uh, scenarios. And I talk about this openly in my book is when I was going through recruit school, they would put us in a uh, five-story concrete building. And we'd go in the, on the bottom floor and they would set furniture on fire. And sometimes they would pour diesel fuel either on the furniture or on the floor. And we would go in without our masks on. And the drill was to make us breathe as much smoke as possible so we'd know what it was like if we ever ran out of air in a fire. I understand what they were trying to do. It wasn't like they were like, hey, we're going to go in there and purposely try to give you a bunch of cancer. We were ignorant to that. We didn't understand the the level of carcinogens and diesel fuel. And I know that's stupid to say that that was as, as early as the early 2000s, or, um, but that, that was the mindset. And so they would take us in there and see who could take it the longest. And Every time I remember having my, my lips pressed to the concrete floor with my hands around my lips, almost looking like, like a glory hole, right? Like when your lips are just coming through, if the wall was your hands, I'm sorry, this is how I have to paint pictures for you folks. But if the, if the whole, um, the wall was your hands and you just press your lips through, that's the little glory hole. You had, you made your own little glory hole on the floor, kissing the, um, the concrete subfloor that was soaking wet and had diesel fuel on it itself um, just to get some kind of clean air to breathe. And inevitably, we would all bail out of that room after so long. I mean, you can only take so much. And then the training staff is out there laughing and they talk shit, you know, because, hey, it's a man's world. It was a man's game back then. Uh, that was the mindset. And it's like, ah, you fucking pussies. You can't take it. Bust your balls. Yeah, well, whatever. And we press on. Well, the next drill that they would do, they had this piece of farm equipment out there and it was like a, a small cylindrical thing i think it's still out there and it's um you had to climb a ladder to get to it and then they put this attic ladder which is a very thin ladder they would shove it down in the hole well they'd set bales of pine straw on fire and it was a confined space fire and we would have to go down there with no air mask no pack on our back at all and pike poles they would set that bitch ablaze and we go down there with a booster line just two of us because only two bodies could fit in there and we'd hit it and it was just full of smoke and granted it was it was just you know pine straw in that one but still we're just sucking smoke to suck smoke and they were trying to see how much we could tolerate and before i mean that thing would get so thick you'd you'd climb out of that ladder i promise you you would be coming out and then the final one was i actually have photos of this and somewhere on my instagram page we would get in a line they had this huge pit and I don't know how many gallons of diesel fuel they would put in here, but I, I remember that they would have to notify the airport before they would do this because it would get so black 
that sometimes it would actually um, there were issues on the interstate to pass by Interstate 26. I mean, the wind had to be right for them to be able to do this because if the if the black smoke started cutting across that interstate, there could be a lot of problems. Well, we would get into a stack of you know five or six people with no air packs on our backs, and I have photos of this. And we put a wide fog pattern on the nozzle. Now, for those of you that don't know what a wide fog pattern is, that's when when you take like a garden hose, those ones that have the little tips on them, when you make the, the water stream come out like pretty much like a pea stream, okay, and it's straight and it's got a lot of pressure, that's called a straight stream. When you fog it is when you turn it to the left all the way and the water sprays like in a big wide pattern, almost like if you were circumcised and you were trying to pee and you didn't pull your foreskin back, it would cause your piss to spray everywhere, that would be a fog pattern in the fire service. Now, that was damn good, man. I should write a book on that. Um, how many of y'all have ever peed at a urinal? Now, ladies, I can't talk for you. Well, shit, I don't know. Some of y'all might get down like this. Fellas, how many times you ever go up pee at a urinal and flip-flops and somebody in the next one has so much pressure that your feet get wet? Like, they don't pee on you intentionally, but there's, there's, there's just backsplash right when it hits and, and so that's why I like if i go to a urinal in the gas station i normally kick them out wide like i like a wide stance but then if somebody comes up next to me i look almost like a t-post i i bring my feet into their damn near touching so anyway when we're doing this burn pit they would light this thing up and i can't tell you how massive the flames were and how hot it was and what we would do is we put this wide fog pattern on um and and we'd approach the fire and the the object was to kind of push the fire out of the pit all right well what we would do is when you get close the fire starts somehow coming around both sides of that fog or uh, around the sides of the fog pattern and it would literally be licking you and then the smoke from it was just unreal it was so thick and so much and and it was pumping it had a high velocity behind it. i'll never forget this and when you were done, you looked like a coal miner. And we were high-fiving and shit. But looking back, dude, they were, we were just getting poisoned. And that was the mindset of the job back then. That was, hey, you got to be able to take this because you're not going to be considered one of us if you can't. You're not going to be uh, considered a, uh, a hard-nosed firefighter. And there was a pride in the in the fire service across the board, it wasn't just Charleston. There was a pride in the fire service of being a smoke eater. And that's why I always talk about this manly ass profession of ours. It's all about building hard, strong men. And that's why we don't talk about mental health because of shit like that. How do you take some guys like that? Now let's go talk about feelings. You know, you, you can't do it. But the fire service is evolving. They're getting smarter. And they realize, hey, that, that that fucked up a lot of people doing stuff that way. And so they don't train like that anymore. So what we're doing is we've we've removed that element of uh of of I shouldn't say machoism, but of ignorance. We've re- removed that element and we're we're actually firefighters now are just a lot smarter um than than what we were. And that's not a uh a dig at past firemen. I mean, I loved being a part of what I was a part of. I loved it. But it, it, it sucks knowing that potentially my life will get cut short because of the way that we did things. Now, I, I never had a problem with um, knowing that, hey, I'm going to have to put my life on the line every day that I go to work. But what I 
what I didn't realize at such a young age is I was really putting it on the line more than I ever knew, more than I even realized, and it's going to affect me later. And I had this uh, this saying written down that I, I thought of today, and it's called tough, tough guys die weak. And I'm a firm believer in that because I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen the toughest men die weak, frail men gasping for air who are whittled, whittled down to nothing because they've been eaten, eaten up by cancer, you know? So you guys out there, you girls out there, you know, doing your overhaul and doing your firefighting and all that, you know, I know it's cool. I, I get it, but you don't be stupid, right? You want longevity in your career and you also want longevity in your life. Nobody, nobody is like wanting to go out there and die in the line of duty. We know that can happen. All right. But don't be stupid and purpose purposely harm yourself. We know better now. See, that's the difference. When you know better, you do better. That's the difference. We didn't know any better back then. We I remember that you know, the, most of these fire stations now they have exhaust systems in their fire stations. So when you back the rigs in, you hook the uh, you hook the exhaust from the truck up because they say diesel fuel is very high um, in cancer causing. Uh, carcinogens or whatever, however, however you want to do do the verbiage, I don't give a shit. We were just backing trucks into our stalls, letting them run, just standing in there with them run, doing our checkoffs and all that with just smoke pumping everywhere. And it was stupid. And so now we know better, we do better, and they have ventilation systems to protect people. They're making guys and girls wash their gear now, where back then when I was on the job, it was, you wash your gear you might as well quit the job because that was a that was just a sin. Those were those were you know battle scars, and you showed that shit with pride. I remember we had guys that would clean their helmet, and we made fun of them. What like, the fuck are you doing, man? You're not here to be pretty. And now looking back, that's the smartest thing they could ever do. And those fuckers are probably going to live to their 180. Um, but we didn't do that, so we're ultimately going to pay the price for that. So. Big shout out to the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, man. Can't thank them enough for what they do. I'm so proud and I'm so privileged to be able to be even be aligned with such an organization to where they can have any comedian in the world. Think about this. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of comedians out there all over the place. And they do this one event every year. And this is my fourth time getting to come back to it. That's That's the way I look at it. I look at perspective. Out of all the people. Me, I get to do it. I, I get to be their guy. And it's not every year. But this year, I'm the, I'm that fucking guy. And I'm so proud to do that. And I'm so proud to be, you know, just to know so many people that serve that organization. Oh, man. And, and they're just the top of the line people. And I wish I could introduce you to all of them and show you their faces. Because when I go there in Indianapolis every year, I see them. And I've seen I've seen them outside of those events, too, at other, other events that I've done. And it's just it's a hugging and kissing fest, man. And it's like... They're brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, so let me stop that because I'll just, I'm going to end up having a fantasy about my friends over there right now, right here, live on the air. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, we, I talk about keeping our tools sharp, right? And one of the things that, that came up in conversation recently is the Denver drill. Now, if you don't know what the Denver drill is, let me let me tell you something about the way that we train in the fire service and police departments, right? We fight like we train, okay? And a lot of times we train 
on things that we don't need to train on. I'm not saying this about the Denver drill. I'm not saying that at all because a firefighter lost his life in the city of Denver, and that's where this drill originated from. It's a very good drill. It's designed to where if one of our own or even a civilian, I was actually a part of a, um, a fatal fire where a civilian died, and they had to pretty much do the Denver drill to get him out of the window. Um, but the Denver drill was designed if one of our own goes down near a window. Now, you you got to figure me. I'm a 230-pound guy. Now, put, the, put all the gear on me. I'm well over 260, 270-something pounds, okay? Um, and if I'm just a limp sack of potatoes at an elevated window, how are you going to lift me up? How would a 130-pound firefighter and his buddy go in there, another 130-pound firefighter? Now, I, I still outweigh both of them. How would they get me up? And that's what the Denver drill was designed to do. And it's designed to um, to get us out quickly and efficiently so they can render aid and do all of that in a um, when we're in a smoke-filled environment. And a firefighter lost his life that way in, in Denver. I don't remember the year. And we trained on it many times. And, I mean, many times over. We would do it religiously. Uh, they they build props for these things. It's actually a really cool cool drill that they do. They build props and... All this, but what I'm getting at is one firefighter died from it, one. And it changed the way we do training throughout the entire fire service. Now, I'm not minimalizing that firefighter's death at all. One firefighter death is too many, all right? But they created a drill after this. They created props, and firefighters across this world know that drill. I see it at every fire conference that I attend. I see it. I see these props at a lot of the fire stations I go to. I see them all over the place. This is what I'm getting at. We train on that that scenario as unlikely as that is to happen, right? Not saying it's impossible, but as unlikely as it is to happen, we spend hours upon hours upon hours practicing that scenario. And we spend zero fucking time at the kitchen table talking about our mental health. This is where I get passionate. This is when I talk, when I teach these courses, I talk about the training that we do on all kinds of things, on skills that we will never utilize. Many firefighters will never utilize a lot of this stuff that we train on. Look, I'm all about training. Knowledge is power. The more you have, the more powerful you are. And the better off your team is going to be. But what we don't do is we don't put any emphasis or enough emphasis on the one thing that affects all of us every single day. We'll train on shit that we're never going to use or that we may use one day. We don't know. Dude, we're in a fucking city fire department and we're training on goddamn dump tanks. Now, a dump tank is what rural departments use for a water source. You know, that that's what I'm getting at. We have hydrants here. Well, all the hydrants could shut down and we could get hacked. And then, then what are we going to do for a water source? We'll fucking call somebody else. You know what I mean? But the chances of that happening versus the chances of a fucking firefighter taking a goddamn gun and blowing his own brains out, it's much greater. We don't spend enough time on the mental health aspect. We can Denver drill all damn day. But goddamn it, when we do Denver drills, police officers, you too. You train on all these different scenarios. I was a cop. I know. I get it. But how much time do we spend training on the one thing that we use every single day? Not just when we're on duty, when we're off duty. The thing that affects our families. The things that affect our friendships. 
the sharpest tool that we possess in our trade, we don't we don't maintain it. We let it get dull. We let it sit in the in the toolbox, in our tools of the trade box. We move it to the side so we can go find a tool that we never fucking use and try to sharpen that. When the most important tool in our entire fucking arsenal is sitting right there, we just let it get dull. That's what gets me because it breaks my heart because I know what I went through on the job. I know the struggles I had and I understand that had I have known what I know now, and I'm not trying to change the past because I'm a firm believer and I am where I am for a reason. But had I have known that, I wouldn't have been sitting on a dirt road getting ready to blow my brains out. I wouldn't have been sitting in my living room with a gun in my mouth, dry firing it into my mouth, wanting to die. I wouldn't have spent so many nights wondering, am I good enough to even be in this life? You know, I wouldn't have spent so many nights wondering, am, am I... Is my family better off without me than me being in the picture? And that's an empty fucking hollow place that is very, very, very difficult to climb out of. And I am, I say, I don't say this lightly. I'm so, I'm very proud of myself for being able to pull myself out of that hole because that's exactly what I did. I pulled myself out. Nobody came and got me. Hence the name, create your own light. It was my responsibility to do that. I didn't even have anybody checking on me. And that's what I'm trying to stop. That ignorant ass mentality that we have in this business. Where it's considered weak if you even check on somebody. We'll go check on the little old lady down the street. Why the fuck can't we check on the dude that's got our back? Or the girl that's got our back? In the life and death scenarios. What the fuck? What is wrong with that? Nothing. I talk, I talk a lot about getting in front of the eight ball. Before we get behind it. You know. And what I mean by that is. Get in front of the problem before there is a problem. Because if once there becomes a problem. And you, and you let that problem continue to grow and metastasize. You're fucked. You'll get so far behind it, you'll never, you'll never catch up. Listen, hey, take that from a guy who's been there and who's done that. I wish I could have gotten in front of it. And I might not have experienced all that horrible shit that I experienced. And that's just some of it. That's, I mean, look, I, I don't put it all out there. I put what I want people to know out there. And it's, uh, it, w- it was no fucking picnic. It's no cakewalk. And it still isn't. I mean, this is it's shit I work on all the time. You wouldn't, if you went to the dentist today and he told you you had a cavity right on your main tooth where everybody could see, what would you do? Well, shit, when can we get it fixed? You wouldn't worry about money. You wouldn't worry about your insurance plan. You'd move heaven and earth to get that fucking greasy ass tooth fixed. Because everybody could see that and you'd be worried about fear of judgment. But when it comes to mental health, We know something's wrong. We know we're having problems. We know we're not acting right. And what do we do? We don't get it checked. Because people can't see that. And a lot of times we can put a mask on and hide it. And we can somehow convince ourselves that if we pretend hard enough, 
that it's just not real. And that's what I did. But everything comes to the light. And it will catch you. You know, my one of my I don't like saying this is one of my favorite things, but I can tell. So when I go to, when I go to cities and I do um, whether it be a, a mental health presentation or whether I do a class, um, you know, my post-traumatic purpose class where I talk about all this stuff. There's always some big tough guy in the room and I always see him. And I see right through him. Because I was that dude. And a lot of times I can. I can tell that something's resonating with them. And then there's a lot of times where I can tell that they think this is bullshit and I don't need it. And I'm too, this, this ain't for me. And I never out them. I never do it. But I always make mental note in my head. I'm like, you're the fucking one. You're the one who in the middle of the night is going to be crying like a bitch on your fucking floor. Wanting to talk to your mama one last time before you pull the trigger. I promise you, because that, that's exactly who I was. I was able to hide it. I was able to have this appearance that I can handle it. And me acting out at work and fucking getting um, physically aggressive with people and all that. That's just, hey, that's just Travis. That's just part of the job. It's, that's the nature. of That's who I am. I'm that guy. And I'd rather be perceived as that guy. This is a sad part. You want to, in the cowardly part, one of the things that I'm most regretful of in my whole life was the way that I treated some of the people that I loved the most. And the fact that I would have rather pretended to be this big, tough guy that I knew in my heart that I really wasn't versus just opening up and talking to somebody and letting them know, like, hey, look, I'm, I'm a good fireman. I'm a good dude, but I'm, I'm not this hard motherfucker that I'm sitting here portraying. This, that's not me. But I could, I never could do that because of the way that I came up in the business. You had to be hard as nails and you had to deal with whatever you had to deal with. You know, one of the things I got, I'm not going to, without saying too much, because I got to be very, I got to tread lightly when I talk about this stuff. One of the biggest things emergency service workers do that is wrong. It's the first thing. This is the first thing we do when we have a problem. If and when we do need to talk to somebody, you know what the first thing we do is, man, let's go have a drink and let's talk about it. And that's that's how we handle talking about it. We can't do it sober. I can't say, hey, man, look, let's me and you go fishing with some fucking Kool-Aid tomorrow. And I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to tell you how I've destroyed my home life. I'm going to tell you how my kids see me as an angry um, father that gets upset by every little thing that they do. And my kids walk on eggshells and my wife walks on eggshells. And I want to tell you all about that. And I want to tell you how it makes me feel and how it makes me feel empty, shallow, and, and, and worthless inside. And I want to tell you how it makes me want to want to kill myself because I feel like I'm ruining their lives. And I know I'm like this because this job has fucked me up so badly and it has desensitized me to so many things. I'm just so numb to everything. I just want to die. And let's, let's, let's me and you go have some fucking beanie weenies and some Kool-Aid tomorrow out in the boat and, and, uh, and go fishing. What do you say? Motherfucker, that other, there ain't no way that other fireman would be like, man, please let's get goddamn, let's go get a 12 pack and let's go get fucked up. And then we'll talk about it and, and then nothing's going to be accomplished, but cause we're just going to get fucked up and we're going to forget talking about it. And then we're going to share fucking war stories and tell about 
how tough we are in this boat while we're out here damn near borderline broke back mountain fucking fishing. And then we're going to talk shit about the weaker guys at work because that's what it is. That's how it is. And it's sad. I was, um, I love this note that I have on my paper talking about pissing rainbows. How fun was that? I know one of you crazy bastards are going to go out. Listen, if you go out and do this, you got, I know I'm not even going to say that. I was going to say somebody's going to go out and take a picture. I don't want to see that. I'm just saying if you have a rainbow, I want to see a picture of a rainbow. But listen, let, I don't, don't even send it. Just, just. Let's stay. Let's stay away from that. Um, but I know somebody's gonna go out and pee some rainbows. Damn, I might go out too. I might go out and try it. Hey, uh, I was talking on Instagram Live, and I know I'm gonna get my ass handed to me for this, but I don't care because this needs to be said too. Um, I got a note here, and this is what this is all I'm gonna say. Not all veterans are worthy. Okay, and what I mean by that. As I think everybody knows, I'm a proud supporter of the military. Jesus fucking, how, how could I not, right? I'm a proud supporter of the police, proud supporter of uh, emergency services, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, military, all of them, all right? But this is, this is what I'm getting at. Somebody was on Instagram on my live earlier, and I missed the comment, but they were talking about how all veterans something, and I was like, you know what? You know, there's a bunch of shitty veterans out there, too, and I know... Some of you folks and served in the military, you're probably clapping right now because you know the ones I'm talking about. See, times have changed where now the military cracks down on who they let in. See, when I was in, if you had a pulse, you could get in. And there were a lot of people back then who were escaping something. And the only thing they could escape, whether it be jail or whether it be their shitty fucking town that they grew up in or whether they grew up running from a drug dealer they owed money to, they fucking came to the fucking military, a lot of them. And here's the, th- here's, here's the crazy part. Think about this with some common sense now. Normally, a leopard doesn't change its spots, right? I'm not saying everybody that comes in the military is fucked up and the military can't help people. I've seen a lot of people that come from absolutely nothing turn into incredible fucking human beings, right? But what I'm getting at is a lot of those people that I was just talking about will come into the military. The ones that are escaping something come into the military. All they do is bring their problems to the military. I can tell you story after fucking story of people that we served with. When you when you knew them, you knew they weren't shit. And they ended up inevitably getting kicked out of the military. They never fucking promoted in the military. And it's, it's all you got to do is do your job. That's all you got to do. It's it's so simple to get promoted in fucking in, in Marine Corps infantry. Show up. Do your time. Don't be a shitbird, and you're going to get promoted. But you got guys that would come in. They'd never advance in rank. They wanted to do the bare fucking minimal, all right? And that's what we called shitbirds. And they brought that mentality with them of it was prideful to be a shitbird. There's actually an underground network for shitbirds on social media, like proud shitbirds. And it's like, why would you be so proud to have done jack shit? In service of your country. How could you be proud to have not like given everything you fucking had? I'm not saying you got to be out there on the front lines slinging a sword and fucking firing a machine gun. But why would you go in there and be, be an asshole? You know, it, the military, the, one of the things I love about the Marine Corps is their whole, their whole 
mindset is to produce better citizens than when you leave it to make you better than when you when you came. But some people left the exact fucking same, if not worse. My best friend Randy and I talk about this all the time. You'll see a guy in Home Depot wearing a veteran shirt or something like that. That's why it's hard for guys and girls in the military to give a lot of props to other people when they say when when they hear the word, "Oh, I'm a veteran." It's like, "I don't know because I know a lot of fucking shitbird veterans, right? I served with a lot of them." I'm not saying I was the best fucking Marine in the world. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but I did fucking try. I gave it everything I fucking had and I did my time honorably where you'll get people that get kicked out of the military for smoking weed, doing whatever they shouldn't be doing. I'm not saying weed is fucking horrible. That's not what I'm saying here. But when you go to the military, there's a certain set of rules you got to abide by. And if you don't abide by their rules, they kick you the fuck out. It's four years of your life. How do you not follow the rules? Especially when it wasn't a draft. We were there voluntarily, so you wanted to be here. Why are you coming here and breaking all their fucking rules? That's all I'm getting at. I get passionate about this shit because that comment I saw earlier, and I was like, this poor person thinks that every single veteran they see is worthy of a thank, uh, thank you for your service, and, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Um, there are plenty of people that, that I, just me, I'm just one guy that I served with, and I guarantee you, Raise your hand if you're listening to this podcast, right? And you know people that put that fucking uniform on who weren't worthy of wearing that uniform. Put your put your hand up high. I got mine up high. I'm literally sitting here raising my left hand. It's about to get hit by the fucking ceiling fan. And that's all I'm saying. If you're gonna if you're gonna get into the uniform, do it pridefully. But so many people they leave that service and then they start leaning on that veteran crutch, like, oh, I need I need some kind of um, approval from somebody so i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna throw out that veteran card man get the fuck out of here i'm sorry to go on that rant but that came up that came up in my instagram live and i just had a i had a note to uh to talk about that for those that did serve with pride and honor and dignity and respect and, and integrity thank you like seriously that's a no matter what your job was in the military. That's a hell of a commitment and I don't think people understand it's um whether you did 2 years, 4 years, 6 years, you could have done anything with your life in that span of time and what you chose to do was to be a part of something that was bigger than yourself. And that's what it's all about. So, thank you for that. My damn back is killing me, man. I just want to be a I just want to be a fun dad. Like I want to be able to so my father when I was young, he was uh he was 28 years old when he had me. I was 36 when I had my first child. And from 28 to 36, that's a big that's a big difference um in in your body, all right? So I'm sitting here, I'm half broke down half the time. I don't I don't tell y'all about this, but I have severe back pain. I don't I don't put this out here. This isn't me this isn't me bitching or anything, but in my Instagram and my Facebook and all that, I look like, hey, man, Travis is out there getting it. But I promise you, you don't see the pictures of me laying down in the dirt, like literally on my back in pain, stretching all the time. And I'm not looking for remedies here. That's not what I'm getting at. All right. I have um, several bulging discs that are borderline herniated. I have a um, I had to have my neck sewn back together um, or had an had a emergency fusion when I had a disc um, explode in my neck and it almost paralyzed me. So. The military busted my back up pretty badly. Um, I uh, 
you know, they say four years in the infantry will age you like 10 to 15 to 20 years or something. And I'm definitely, so I, I'm 43, but I got the body of a 70 year old man internally. So anyway, you guys don't see me hobbling out of bed, popping ibuprofen all the time and all this. I do stretch. I do all kinds of stuff. I do go to the gym. I take care of myself. It's not like I'm sitting around not doing anything, but here's what I'm getting at. Remember my father always being involved with me. He would do foot races with me. He'd play baseball with me. He'd throw the football with me. And it's hard for me to do those things with my children because of the pain that I'm in all the time. And, you know, my daughters will come up to hug me and I have to, I have to stop them because uh, my youngest, she likes jumping up in the air and grabbing on my neck and like hanging on me, but it puts so much pressure on my low back. It almost folds me. So I have to tell her like, Hey baby, hold up, you know, um, don't, don't, don't hang on daddy. And I know I don't get those, I don't, I won't get those moments again and it sucks, right? And so I'm at the water park the other day with my girls and my wife and we're sitting there watching, um, watching the kids play and they made friends. And before I knew it, they're friends with five kids. And my wife goes, those are all sisters. And I go, bullshit. And I said, there ain't no way that old ass man over there. Cause we saw their mom and daddy and then the mama, she was in good shape. Now she was young. And the daddy was definitely older than me. And I knew this fucker was in his fifties. And I go, there ain't no way that man that was swimming and cannonballing into the pool and going down the water slides. There ain't no way those are all his kids. So they walked by and I, and I asked him, I said, sir, I said, are, are all those your daughters? He said, oh yeah, man. And I go, excuse me. And I immediately was overcome with envy and I don't get envious of a lot of people, but I was envious of this man because he was out there being 100% in the moment with his children. He wasn't watching from the sidelines. He was partaking in, exactly what they were partaking in there's this very violent water slide out there this old motherfucker he was doing it he didn't care and i said how old are you man he said 52 and i go you don't hurt he goes yeah man but i love being with my kid and i'm like god damn that made me feel like shit and i'm sitting there thinking i was like there ain't no way you're hurting like me because i can't i can barely stand up sometimes um so he was telling me he's like yeah the other night we uh we saw one of those radar detectors those mobile ones that the cops put on the side of the road that shows you your speed and he goes, we parked the car and we, all five of us got out there or six of us got out and lined up on the road. We were trying to set it off by running up and down the road. And I go, you were running with them? He said, yeah, man. And I said, this motherfucker is making me feel bad. He said, we have Nerf gun wars. We go rafting. We do all this shit. Man, at night I went home. <laughs> I thought about that guy. I always walk to the end of my gate at my farm and I, and I lock it at nighttime. I like sitting on the porch till it gets dark and then walking down there at night and just kind of like hearing everything and taking it all in. And so me and my girls, we walked down to the gate and then one of them wanted to get on my back on the way back, but I was in too much pain. And I was like, nah, fuck this. And I remember that guy. I said, we're going to have a foot race. And we took off running people. Let me tell you all something. I swear to God, I thought I was dead. Everything. I ran back to the house a thousand feet. This is how far I had to go. A thousand feet. And I felt like I felt like my asshole was in my neck and my neck was coming out my asshole. And I felt like my ankles were in my knees and my knees were now in my ankles. That's how that's how turned around I felt. But I won that damn foot race. I didn't let them two little girls beat me. Shit. Pop your collar, baby. But even having said all of that, I do give myself credit because I do try to get after it as much as I can. I think I think 
you have to know your limitations. Um, I've, I was never good at listening to my body and I'm paying for it. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of macho dudes out there to talk about, Oh, fuck the pain, work through the pain. And it's like, yeah, no, look, dude, that used to be me, but I'm older and wiser now. Right. And you have to listen to your body. You cannot, you only get this one body. Take it. I'm telling you, take it from a guy who's busted up six ways from Sunday, Sunday, I got almost amputated both my toes. All right. So one of my toes, I was stripping one night. I'm gonna tell you a story. I was stripping one night at a, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, we had a mess night and it was all dudes. We had a retirement party for our company gunnery sergeant and we were in our dress uniforms and our alphas actually. And my, everybody's all drunk, a bunch of, I'm, I'm sitting here stripping literally for a bunch of dudes. Y'all, y'all, y'all understand what I'm telling y'all right now. I had my shirt off. I had my jacket off. I just, my trousers, my socks and shoes were off. I mean, I was putting on a show on the dance floor with just dudes. And, uh, that's why I'm so comfortable, man. I had two champagne bottles and I remember I had them upside down and I was pouring a champagne on both of my nipples. And this is, I'm telling y'all, Travis used to be wild. Well, in the middle of the thong song. Okay. I think it was, I don't know what damn song it was. But in the middle of it, somehow, these two champagne bottles that I got turned straight up all over my nipples. The bottoms of them hit each other, and, and one of them broke. And when it broke, it fell down, and it went damn near through my left toe, okay, my big toe. I mean, it it looked like I stepped on a fucking landmine. There was blood everywhere. And the, the company off, company commander came over, and he's like, you need to get the fuck out of here pretty much. My platoon commander, platoon sergeant came over. <laughs> he came and got my buddy who's in my fire team. And they said, get him to the naval hospital. So we did what Marines do. I said, all right, let's go. I'll say his first name was Jesse. I won't say his last name. I said, hang on, Jesse, before we do, I got to jump in this river, right? So the new river was behind this building that we were having a ceremony in. And it's a nasty ass river, right? And there's like pig shit in it. There's all, I mean, it's just fucking disgusting. I don't know what, what made me do it, but I jumped off the dock into the river and I swam around for a minute. And I guess I needed to get some of that bacteria in my new fresh fucking amputated foot toe that was, it was literally hanging. This is how drunk we were. I mean, we're just stupid and, um, swam around and then I got out. <laughs> God almighty, this is ridiculous. So I get out and I'm looking like I'm covered in swamp juice. And uh, I was like, all right, Jesse, now we can go. So he, he takes my car, James Brown. We had my, I had a Delta 88 that had a rear window missing because a girl that I was dating, um, her name was Julie. She got a little crazy one night and punched my window out. And uh, that's a whole nother story that actually is in my other book that I'm writing. And um, Jesse drives me swamp, swampy ass, muddy up to the hospital. So we're walking up to the steps of the emergency room and, uh, anywhere you go on a military base on a Marine Corps base, everywhere you look, there's a fucking pull-up bar. You got to check nuts everywhere you go. Like, Oh, we got to bang out these pull-ups. What you got? So me and Jesse hop up there outside the emergency room. I got a toe dangling off and we're sitting there banging out these pull-ups. Now I was his corporal at the time. And he's like, corporal house. I think you need to come inside. I was like, fuck off, man. I'm going to bang out these 20. I got to get this 20, these 20 reps. And so we walk in, to the um, emergency room, you got you got to understand we're on a military base now. 
shirtless, no shoes, no socks, muddy-ass dress pants with a toe hanging, dangling off, bleeding. And nobody took us fucking seriously. <laughs> this is the this is the scary part. We sat there so long waiting. There was nobody in there. There was nobody in the waiting room. We sat in the waiting room for what seemed to be an hour. And I looked at him. I said, fuck it, man. Let's just go back. So we went back to the barracks. And we slept in. and Because it was a weekend. And the next morning, my platoon commander came over to check on me. And found out I was now, I was in the bed. With my muddy ass pants, with my bloody ass foot, it's now coagulate. The blood's coagulated, and uh, he walks in the room and he's like, "The fuck are you doing? Why didn't you?" So now he's pissed because now it's almost like I've damaged government property. I'm not even trying to get it fixed when I really did. They got mad at me. They they fucking sent me back over there, so I had to get in the shower and actually get cleaned up when I went back. They actually sewed me up, and um, I got the stitches I needed. I don't know why on earth I was telling y'all that story. I think I tell that story because I'm, you know, I'm sitting here talking about listening to your body as I'm, I'm looking down at my damn, my toe, it's big ass scar across it. And then the, the other, the other big toe, um, I tried to, (laughs) I laugh when I look at my feet. I tried to blow that one off with a pressure washer. Um, I damn near, um, succeeded to with a high power pressure washer, but that story's for another day. So needless to say, I got both toes have huge scars across them. Um, so it makes for good conversation when I'm barefoot around, around people. They're just like, Oh God damn what happened. And normally I'll make up some shit. Like, you know, I was in the outback and uh, not in a restaurant, but like in Australia and, um, a fucking crocodile came up and got me by both of my big toes and he spared the other feet, the other toes. But then I had a friend that had the crocodile done knee knife him in the head before he could drag me. And I always come, I always talk to my kids like that. I tell them some, some stupid ass stories. Anyway, listen, I got carried away. Listen to your bodies. You got to listen to your body. Look, I got to get out of here. Um, I hope you find something in here that resonated with you, whether it be taking care of your mental health or whether it be, Hey, it's okay to strip for other dudes on the dance floor. Um, or wherever it's fine just be comfortable in your own skin be who you are be proud of of who you are enjoy this fucking life you only get one of them make some memories but take care of yourself man definitely take care of yourself mind body and spirit all right baby i'm out of here love y'all